Well, it's great to see you. And uh, you guys clean up real nice. I need to tell you that. You look great. You really do. Now, uh, now that I said that, Happy Easter, all that good stuff, I do want to tell you the most disgusting story you probably ever hear in your life. And I know what you're thinking. I knew there was a reason I got up to come to church this morning, to hear a disgusting story. Um, now, here, this is it. I'm going to tell you all the details of the story are 100% true. Um, I had a friend in high school who had like a major earwax problem. You're saying, this is, if this is how you're opening, it's all downhill from here. But here's the thing, is that, I mean, this guy, the earwax problem that he had was causing him to not be able to hear anything. Um, and here, this is the true story. Um, we, him and I would go, he lives across the street from me, and we would go to a movie, right? And uh, I remember one time, this is once again years and years ago, we were in high school, and we went to a movie, and uh, the next day we were talking about it, he goes, man, that movie, A Few Good Friends, it was awesome. And I'm like, dude, it's A Few Good Men. And he's like, oh, yeah, whatever. When I met my wife, Carrie, for the first six months, he called her Corey. And I'm like, dude, her name is Carrie. Yeah, that's what I said. No, you said Corey. Anyway, so one day uh, we were going out somewhere. It was actually five of us that were going out. Uh, my friend Alan was in the front seat. My friend Drew was in the passenger seat. Um, I was in the back seat. So I kind of, uh, it was... Uh, I was in the, all the way to the right, so it was me, my friend across the street who will remain nameless in the spirit of protecting the innocent, um, and then my friend Jordy was on the other side, and so we're there, um, and uh, and so I say something to him, I'm like, I'm sitting right next to him, and I say something to him, and he just doesn't even hear me, and I said, that's it, I've had it, so I tell my friend Alan, who's driving the car, I said, we're at his house, I need you to go inside, I need you to get me 20 Q-tips and a bottle of rubbing alcohol, to which he does. And then, and I say, and I said, that's it, dude. Now I'm taking care of business. I get the rubbing alcohol. I start cleaning out the guy's ears. By the way, for those of you that want to know, like, what's a good definition of friendship? That's it. All right? So I'm cleaning out the guy's ears. My buddy Jordy, who's on the other side of him, throw, he opens the door and pukes. Now, it, I will admit, it could be because I made him hold the used Q-tips after they were done. So that's possible. All right? So, but anyway, after I cleaned out the guy's ears, this guy had like the best hearing in the world. He was like a hawk. I'm, I'm seriously, this guy could, he could hear a pin drop across a, a crowded room. It was amazing what happened after. Now, I tell you the story because of this, is that hearing is vital to knowing what to do. Um, some of you know that I have two kids. I have, uh, I have a three-year-old daughter named Mia. I have an eight-month-old son named Alexander. And uh, my daughter, my wife and I are constantly telling my daughter that she has to listen to us because she's three, uh, but she's convinced that, um, you know, like, she knows what to do better than the rest of us. And so, anyway, so we're trying to explain to her that that's just not uh, the, right, the right way to go. So the other day we were telling her to do something. I think I was telling her to clean up the mess that she made, which is pretty much something I tell her to do about every 20 minutes when I'm home. Uh, so, but she kind of puts her hands over her ears and she walks down the hall to her room. She goes, la, 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 I don't hear you, uh, and because, uh, I mean, that's just a sign of great parenting. Um, and so and so I decide, so I say to her, I don't say to her, I just say out loud. I'm like, you know, who here wants M&M's? And she stops in her trash. She turns around. She goes, did somebody say M&M's? And I'm like, oh, so you can hear me, you little rebel. Uh, and then we had a nice little conversation after that. But here's the thing. The thing is this, as parents, we know this, but those of you that are parents, you know this to be true. Those of you that want to be parents someday, you'll say, like, that sounds about right, because it is. Um, and here's what it is. It's that when we make a rule or we set up rules or boundaries for our kids, 
it's not for our benefit, right? We set rules and boundaries and, and we tell our kids to do stuff because it's for their benefit. Because if they will actually do the thing that we're telling them to do, life will go well for them. And listen, the same thing is true with God. God does not create commands, rules, laws, because He's saying this, I know I want these people to do this because it would really make my life easier. No, He's God. No, instead, God creates the commands and the rules and the, uh, the guidelines and all of that, and they're given for our benefit. Now, if you have the notes that we gave you, I hope you grabbed the uh, outline that we gave you. you got the pen in there because you're going to need to write some stuff. Um, here, here's the thing. This is in Deuteronomy chapter 4. Here's what it says. It says, Acknowledge and take heart this day that the Lord is God in heaven above and on earth below. There is no other. Keep His decrees and commands which I am giving you today. You may want to underline this part. So that it may go well with you and your children after you. And that you may live long in the land the Lord your God gives you for all time. You see, God is telling us here that He gives us His commands so that it will go well with you. So that we have the ability and to live the best life possible. Now here's what you might be thinking, and if you are thinking, I'm, I'm glad. Here's what it is. Why are we talking about this on Easter? Shouldn't we be focusing on talking about exploring the resurrection? Now here's, here's the thing that's really important, and I think it's a great question, and here's what, what's, what's important for us to note, is that too often we come to church on Easter, we hear the story of the resurrection, and we kind of go our way, and it's kind of in some way kind of disconnected from the rest of life, disconnected from like, well, what am I supposed to do with that information? Jesus rose from the dead. That sounds like a pretty good thing. But now what do I do with that? And so the thing that's really important is I want to connect the resurrection to the rest of the Bible. I want to connect the resurrection to the rest of our lives. But to do that, we've got to take a little bit of a step back and make a running start towards the resurrection. Because too often we hear about the resurrection, but we haven't asked the question why Jesus died in the first place. You see, Jesus died because we've all broken God's commands. The commands that God gave us, the commands that were supposed to be for us to live the best life possible. And when we sinned, it severed, it broke, it cut our off our relationship with God. And so Jesus, or God, not uh, allowing us to kind of just leaving us as is, saying, well, you got yourself into this mess, you better figure it out. Instead, here's what God did. What God did is that He actually, not only, even though there was a problem, He Himself became the solution. He sent Jesus into the world to live the perfect life, to die this horrific death on a cross. And then three days later, He rose again victoriously, offering us forgiveness of sins, offering us eternal life. But see, here's what can happen sometimes, is that we've, especially if you've been around church for any length of time, or maybe you come to church once a year on Easter, whatever it kind of works out to, um, but if you've ever heard the gospel that Jesus died for you, you can uh, ask Him to come into your life and forgive you and all that. Some of us have heard that. Sometimes we miss something. We miss it. We put this, that, well, there was God's commands and nobody could figure that out. And so that's why Jesus came. But here's the thing that we have to remember is that God's commands are good. God's commands were given for us to live the best life possible. And that's why we're starting a brand new series this morning. And that's why I'm so excited that all of you are here. Because we have the opportunity to take this adventure together. And we're starting a brand new series. It's called Ten Words. And I know that that sounds kind of an odd uh, name. Like, what does that even, what ten words are they? What, 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 are they, what does that mean? Uh, what the ten words is that the ancient rabbis, the Hebrew rabbis of uh, previous centuries and generations, when they talked about the Ten Commandments that God gave Moses, they never spoke about them as ten rules or ten laws or ten commands, even though they were. 
they spoke of them and what they called them was ten words. And the idea was this, is that if we would hear the ten words and heed the ten words and live by them, that we would experience the best life possible because these ten words were how God wants us to live. But here's the other thing that he says, is that if we just ignore the ten words, then here's what it says, that life is going to be hard. You see, and say, well, but I'm a Christian. But if you ignore the ten words, here's what I can tell you. You'll be a Christian and life will be really hard. But I'm not a Christian. If you're not a Christian and you ignore the ten words, life is going to be really hard. Because what we're set, God is setting here is the baseline for what it means to be a human being. What it means to live in this world. And so, so what I want to do by way of introduction this morning is really answer the questions, why are these commands, why are these ten words even relevant to us today? And here's the deal, is that God actually lays out for us the answer to the question uh, in, in the first three verses, and He lays out uh, in three different ways why these words are so important to us. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Exodus chapter 20. If not, I'm going to encourage you to take these notes and write them down, you know, get some notes in there. But here's what it says. It says, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention... Here's the first thing I want you to note if you're taking note in your outline. God gave us the ten words to reveal Himself to us. Sometimes we forget that. God gave us the ten words to reveal Himself to us. I remember the day that my wife and I met. Uh, it was at a mutual friend's house. And uh, I got there and I was in a band at this time that was like pretty popular. Um, and we were like talking to record companies and all that stuff at the time. And um, so they said, hey, there's this guy, the guy that was hosting the party just bought a new guitar. And he said, hey, will you play the, the guitar for a little bit? And so I started playing the guitar. And, um, and, and there's like crowd of people started forming around me playing the guitar. And I saw this girl uh, named Carrie, who today is, is my wife. And I saw this girl. and I'm like, that girl is really hot. And, um, and, and I thought, like, I'd really like to meet her. Um, and, and so, but, and I figured, you know, that all these people watching me play guitar would impress her. Uh, and she just like, you know, was like, wow, what an arrogant person. And, um, you know, that just has to be the center of attention. Um, and so she just walked away and went into another room. So in about five seconds after that, I put down the guitar and like somebody else play. And I went over um, to talk to this girl. And so um, I sat down and, um, and, and I introduced myself. I said, you know, hi, my name is Bob. And uh, she, as she, when she tells the story... Um, like she had gone to see my band. My band was, you know, like I said, it was pretty popular at the time. So she's thinking like, yeah, I know who you are, but she didn't play it like that. She's like, you know, this guy's, you know, arrogant and whatever. And so she's like, oh, hi, it's nice to meet you. Never heard of you ever. My name is Carrie. And um, and so I sat down next to her and we started talking. She was telling me that she was um, just finished her first semester at, at FAU in college. And I'm like, oh, that's great. You know, I'm like, how do you like school? And she's like, oh, I love school. I think I just love school. I love learning. I love college. I loved high school, but I love college even more. And then she says, what about you? Now, pause. Let me just, can I sidebar for a moment? Here's what you have to understand. For those of you that don't know me, I was on the five-year plan in high school. Okay? For me, being a senior was the best two years of my life. Okay? So you got to understand that. I hate school. I, 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 I absolutely hated school. And the reason is because I ended up spending all summer there as well. Uh, I, spent all, I, I spent most afternoons there with detention and other things. So it's like, 
I hated school. I couldn't stand school. I couldn't wait to get out of school, especially because I had to actually go another year. Um, and then, so now, let's fast forward. So my wife says, so I love school. What about you? And I look at her with the most sincere face I have, and I said, I love school too. <laughs> I love it. I can't get enough of it. In fact, I spend all my free time at school. And, uh, and, and, and the thing is this, is that um, now... Here's the weird part. Oh, by the way, I have to do this. My wife said I couldn't tell the story without showing a picture of me at the time. Um, that's, that's me. That's what I looked like when I met my wife uh, and with a Darth Vader shirt as well, which I think is a nice touch. Um, and here's the funny part is that uh, some, someone asked me recently, um, it's like, wow, you had a mohawk back then. Isn't that interesting? I said, yes, now I have the reverse. Um, uh, you know, and it's like, well, would you... Would you grow that? Listen, I wish I could have a mohawk again. If I would, I would. I, if I could, I would. If I could grow an afro, I would. Because uh, I think afros are awesome. And I would have a humongous one. And I would, color, I would make it like a snow cone, different colors. It'd be awesome. But I digress. Well, so anyway, so now here's the thing. This thing is so interesting. Um, I was in a band that was on the verge of signing like a major recording contract with with uh, with a label i mean it was going to change my whole life and i and i didn't tell her that because i didn't think that was going to impress her instead i told her that i'm like this you know scholastic bookworm and that's that's really who i am i secretly love books um now the funny part is is that six years later seven years later um you know I, i god saves me i become a christian i finish college um and i actually through a whole series of circumstances, end up running a college. I'm the as administrator of a college. I'm teaching at, at, the, at the collegiate level. And so, but my wife is always, every time she tells a story, she's like, you know, when we met, all he did was lie to me. You know, because he told me he loved school, but he didn't really love school. And I tell her now, I'm like, honey, that wasn't a lie. It was a prophecy. Um, because I would love school. And neither of us knew it at the time. Now, here's the thing. The reason I tell you that is because God gave the children of Israel the Ten Commandments. One of the reasons is He gave them the Ten Words to reveal Himself to them, to reveal Himself to us. It was an explanation of who He is. You see, God's law, these Ten Commandments, are are an expression of God's nature. If you want to know what God is like, you can read the Ten Commandments as the Ten Words, and it'll show you. You see, why does God say, uh, why does the Ten Commandments say to take a day off? You know why? Because that's what God does. God created for six days and then He rested. He wasn't just this continual machine that was creating and creating. No, He created and then He stopped. And He took a day off and then He gives us that opportunity to do the same. Why why did the ten words say to honor your parents? Because when Jesus was on this planet, the Bible says that He honored His Father and did exactly what His Father had told Him to do. The ten words say not to lie. Why is that? Because the Bible says that God is not a man that He should lie. Why would the Ten Commandments tell us not to commit adultery? Why? Because God is always faithful. You see, the point of these ten words is to show us who God is. But there's another reality, another, another facet of this. It's like a jewel. If we kind of see, well, you see the, 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 the reflection there, but if you turn it just a little bit, it'll refract a little differently. And here's what I mean. In these ten words, God is seeking to show us who He wants us to become. He's seeking to show us. What do I mean by that? Look at what it says in Genesis chapter 1. It says, And God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, all over the earth, over the creatures that move along the ground. God created us in His image. All of us, every single one of us, man or woman. 
We all bear the image of God on us. And because we bear the image of God, here's the thing that's important to note. Is that when we embrace these ten words and seek to live by them, you know what happens? We begin to become the person that God created us to be. We seek to become, maybe one step further, who we really are. And who we really were supposed to be. But here's the other thing important to know. Like I said, you've got to turn the gem a little bit to see it refract again. You see, and here's the thing that's important to note when we talk about this. The commands don't save us. Once again, we're celebrating the resurrection because Jesus is the one who saves us. But I want you to note something, that even in the story, the commands don't save them. You see, the children of Israel, if you know the story or saw the movie, the children of Israel were slaves for 400 years in Egypt. And then what took place? God sent them a savior, a deliverer, a guy by the name of Moses. And then God saved them. And after they had been saved, He gave them the commands by which to live. Notice that He didn't actually give them the commands in Egypt and say, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you these commands to live by and we're going to have a trial period of 90 days. And if you can you know, work pretty well with these commands, then I'm going to save you out of Egypt. That's not what He did. Instead, what He did was He saved them. Out of His grace, out of His love, out of His mercy, He saw the, the plight of, their, of the people of Israel and He saved them. And the Bible says He bore them on eagles' wings, seemingly, and brought them unto Himself at Mount Sinai. And after they had been saved from slavery, from bondage, then He gave them these ten words. It wasn't follow these commands and I'll save you. Instead, God saved them and then He gave them the commands. You see, the ten words reveal God to us, but at the same time, they reveal the us that God wants us to become. The us that was created in the image of God. But can I tell you something? We missed it. We missed it. You see, what happened was is that when, when people began to read these commands, they missed that they were supposed to reveal who God is. Instead, they just saw them as a series of rules that somehow was closing in on them. Instead, Jesus showed up on the scene and He cleared up the confusion. Because when Jesus was about to go to the cross, one of His disciples, a guy by the name of Philip, turned to Him and said, and said Lord, show us the Father and it'll be enough. We, we want to see God. We want You to reveal God to us. And Jesus would say these words. He said, haven't I been with you so long? Don't you realize that if you've seen Me, you've seen the Father? The very thing that the ten words were supposed to do and do in our lives, Jesus, in, in His perfection, now showed us as well what... He could, what, it could, what He could do as well. That He reveals who God is to us. But I want to share with you another thing too about these ten words. Look at verse 2 of Exodus 20. He says, I'm, And God spoke all these words saying, I'm the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Now pause there and give me your attention. The second thing to note is this. God gave us the ten words to set us free. He gave us the ten words to set us free. Now, I know that it's a weird thought for us in the culture in which we live to think that a set of commands or a set of rules um, would be freedom because most of us are, are under the impression that when rules are imposed on us, it means a lack of freedom. But here's the thing that's important to note is that sometimes is that when we're given guidelines, within those guidelines, there's tremendous freedom. Here's what I mean. Um, I, I'm a, I grew up in Boston, so I'm a huge baseball fan, and... Um, my, because of that, my three-year-old daughter is a huge fan of baseball as well. And so she loves to go outside and play baseball in, uh, in the backyard. And so what we'll do is, is that I'll let, give her the bat, and so I'll throw the ball to her, and so we'll set up the bases, and I'll explain to her, you go to first base, then second base, third base, and then you come home. 
well, my daughter doesn't feel like th- th- that, that's just like too much. So when she hits the ball, she runs to third. And I try to explain to her, honey, um, sweetheart, you can't go to third base. You've got to go to first base, second base, third base. See, it's one, two, three. You can't just go third. You've got to then come back. You've got to go all the way around. And she says to me, Papi, this is new baseball. It's not new baseball, Mia. This is just, it's baseball. There's no new, old, it's just baseball. All right? And by the way, we play American League rules in our backyard. So the pitcher doesn't hit. And so I'm trying to explain all this to her, right? And, and she's like, she's like, Papi, this is Mia baseball. This is what we do, you know? And, she's, and then she's like, Papi, you have to trust me. And I'm like, Who, what are you, a lawyer? You know? Because that's what she does. Like, she'll, she'll give, I'll tell her to do something, and then she'll give me this whole explanation. And I'll turn to Carrie, and I'm like, I just got lawyered. Uh, so anyway, so here's the thing. Now, that's okay to run to third base when you're three. But see, what will happen is, is that if you, if you grow up and you're 23 and, you're, and, you're, and you want to play ball professionally or you want to pr- play ball in some kind of league and you hit the ball and you go to third, guess what? You're out. But here's what takes place is that if you will operate within the guidelines, within the rules that have been created, you know what you'll experience? Tremendous freedom. Tremendous enjoyment. And that's the thing that God wants us to understand is that when we live life according to the framework he's given to us in these 10 words, we will live a life that's free and we will enjoy life the way that it was intended to be lived. See, I mentioned to you a few moments ago that God didn't give the children of Israel the 10 words, the 10 commandments when they were still in bondage. Instead, he gave it to them after they had been freed. So the goal of the Ten Commandments is not, is not to, to set us free. It's to allow us to be able to live free and stay free. One of the things I've heard people say, maybe you've heard this too, is people say this, they'll say, you know, the Ten Commandments, the Ten Words, they are the highest standard for living. That is God's highest standard. And, and I understand why people say that, but I tend to disagree with that. I believe that the Ten Commandments, these Ten Words that God gave to us, are actually the lowest common denominator for what it means to be a human being. You say, well, are you sure? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Now, why is that? Because it's, it's the most basic of laws, right? Now, is not murdering people like the highest form, the highest standard of living? I don't think so. I mean, do you just come home and say, you know, I got into an argument, but don't worry, I didn't kill him. No, instead, that, most of the time, that's kind of implied. You know, so you didn't beat him senseless with a stick? No, I didn't. I... Kept my cool. Why? Because we recognize that it's like not murdering people is just the basis. It's just the lowest common denominator for what it means to be human. In fact, um, the way we see it's one of the most basic laws is that when Jesus shows up on the scene, what does he do? He takes the law to the nth degree and then he kind of drills down and gives us the very root of what he intended. In fact, look at the notes that we gave you. He says, you've heard that it was said to those of old. You shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you, whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, because those are fighting words, uh, they will be in danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. What is Jesus doing? He says, you know, you know the saying, you know, people have said the command of those of old, you shall not murder. But now he gets down to the root of the matter. And he says, the issue isn't really murder. The root issue here is anger. Let me explain what I mean. Um, Several years ago, I mean, we're probably going back now, like, I don't know, 15 years. uh, I got an ingrown toenail. Now you're saying, like, now I'm really glad I got up this morning. 
uh, because I haven't really heard many podiatry jokes uh, in, in the last few months. No, but I'd say this. I was actually going to do a show of hands, but I thought, like, that might be kind of weird, so I decided not to. Um, <clears throat> but here's what happens, is that I get this thing on toenail, and, um, you know, like, when you get, if you've ever gotten one, you know, it's like your, your toe becomes very sensitive. It kind of swells up to the size of your fist, um, which makes it very awkward to put on shoes. Um, so anyway, so I decide finally, after so, all this pain I'm in, to go to see a podiatrist. And he's like, oh, yeah, this is a classic case, and I'm going to try to spare you all the gory stuff, right? Um, and, and so he tells me this. He gives two options. He says, I can do, like, the basic thing, which is I novocaine you, and then I cut out the parts that's, like, ripping into your skin and causing you tremendous pain. Um, or I can actually do the same thing, but then I put, like, this chemical, and I don't even know what chemical that is, like Raid or something, you know, they put in there. And, uh, you know, uh, and, and so he says, I can put this, like, weed kill or whatever it is in there, and, um, and that, that'll keep the, your nail from growing in that direction again and to keep getting it. Well, I think, like, eh, I'm, I'm cool. Just cut it out. You know, I don't need the, the chemical. Plus, he's going to charge me like an extra 20 bucks for it. I'm like, forget that. Um, so sure enough, I get better. I'm feeling pretty good. And then the nail grows back in the exact same way again. And it, like I'm in even more pain than before. And then I have to have and then I have like the humiliation of having to go back. And he's like, hey, a repeat customer. And, uh, you know, that's like kind of awkward. And um, so he finally goes in. I pay the extra, which I end up paying double now for him to like kill the root so that it would never come back. Now, here's why I tell you that. As Jesus is explaining the commandments, and he talks about this commandment not to murder, he says, see, see, the issue here is this. The issue is the heart of the matter is one of anger. And when anger is unbridled and unrestrained and uncontrolled, that's where it ultimately leads. That's why he starts talking about this thing, you know, raka. Like, what's, what, you know, like for us now, if you call somebody raka, they're like, and what's that to you? You know, like, what does that even mean? In a Hebrew culture, to say the word raka, you'd have to go rah, you know, one of those like Hebrew things. And it was the sound that was made when you were going to spit on someone as a sign of total disgust. And, and so here's what happens. And it was like saying to them that they were completely worthless. Now, and so what happens? And so the thing is, what Jesus is saying is, is that murder doesn't happen unless there's anger that's totally out of control. So the basic law might be don't murder. But the internal law, the real law, the root of the law is to deal with anger that's unbridled, unrestrained, and uncontrolled. Because when, if you don't, that's what ends up hurting people. But see, the command is given to us so that we might be free. Have you ever been like, and I'm not talking about mad, like, oh man, my, my show isn't on. Like, yeah, I'm annoyed. I'm talking about you're so mad, you're like seeing red, you're angry. I mean, it's just like, it's consuming you, that kind of anger. I think all of us have been there, right? Um, you know, like when you find out the McRib is gone, like that kind of angry. You know, all right, maybe more angry than that. And so, I mean, but you're like really angry. And here's what happens. You get really angry. And it's like, and think about this. Are you free? Or are you now, have you become a slave to an emotion? No, now you're in bondage. You're, you're, you're a slave to something because it's now, it's consuming you. It's controlling your actions. It's controlling how you speak. It's controlling how you react, how you respond. So you're not free. You're bound. So God says, listen, don't murder people. And if you want to take it even further, deal with your anger. And you know what? You'll find freedom. Um, when somebody's coveting something, right? You really want this thing. I mean, you've got to have this thing. In fact, it's all you're thinking about is this thing. You know, are you a slave or are you free? 
No, you're a slave because something else is consuming your thoughts. It's consuming your brain power. It's consuming your, your, your awake hours. You're dreaming about it. Why? And here's what God says. Listen, I want you to be free. You see, and that's why he gave these commands to people who had just come out of slavery. Because he says, you know what it is to be bound. You know what it is to be a slave. And I'm giving you these commands so that you can continue to live free. But see, here's what happened is that we, we confused it. We confused these words with bondage instead of with freedom. And so Jesus comes on the scene and he has to like explain it to us again. And if you want to jot this in your notes, it's John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. You may know these words. But he says this, he says, if you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciple. Then you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. See, sometimes we only quote the bottom half of that. You'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. But the whole statement is, if you hold to my teaching, if you do the things that I'm telling you to do, the commands that I'm giving you, then you're my disciple. That's when you know the truth and that's the truth that sets people free. See, God gave us the ten words to set us free. He gave us the ten words to reveal himself to us. And then the third one is he gave us ten words to show us our need for him. To show us our need for him. Look at what he says in verse 3. I'll give you the whole thing again. He says, And the God spoke thee all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. No other gods before me. What's interesting about that phrase, if you notice the first command, is that he doesn't say, hey, um, hey, if you worship a God, make sure it's me. No, here's what God does. He assumes that we're already worshiping something. And how does he know that? He knows that because God created us. And because He created us, He knows you and I are wired to worship. We're wired to worship. And, and so what He does is He says this, because you're created to worship and you are bound to worship something or someone, make sure it's me. Because if it's anything else other than me, God would say, it's only going to lead to bondage and not to freedom. And, and why does God say this? I mean, is God like scared of the competition? Is that why he says that? No, that, that's not it. He's saying that because he knows this fact, that we become like that which we worship. We become like that which we worship. Listen to what the Bible says in Psalm 135. It says, The idols of the nations are silver and gold, made by the hands of men. They have mouths but cannot speak. They have eyes that cannot see. They have ears that cannot hear. Nor is there breath in their mouths. And this is the key. Those who make them will be like them. And so will all those who trust in them. We become like that which we worship. Can I, you, ever, you ever met somebody that worshiped their car? And I don't mean worship their car like they go into their garage, bow down to it, and light a candle. I'm not talking about that. But I mean someone, when I talk about worship, I mean you're giving all of your attention, your affection, all of your free time, all of your resources. You're thinking about it and all that to the neglect of everything else. You ever notice that people who, who worship their car start sounding like their car? I'm telling you, you, are, you look at somebody who spends all their time fixing up that 19-whatever, whatever, you know, thing that they've got, and you're like, hey, how's it going? How's it going? I've got this thing going. They start sounding like a 350 engine. You know what I mean? Like, what is that? I'm telling you, and that, you know, what is that? And uh, you say, well, I don't ever experience Go to a car show. You'll find out. Uh, and you'll see, I mean, people, they, they, why? Because we become like that which we worship. And you and I were created in the image of God. And we are truly ourselves when we become more like God in our words and in our actions. But here's the bad news. The bad news is this, is that what I'm saying to us is impossible. 
without God's help. In fact, that's the reason that Jesus came. That's the, 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 the event, the most important event in human history, the resurrection of Jesus that we're here to celebrate. Because the fact is that we're all sinners. We've all fallen short of God's standard. You see, you look at the Ten Commandments and you're like, yeah, I've broken that one, broken that one, broken that one, broken that You know, and it's like, you kind of, it's like a checkoff list of all the things that we, all the commands that we've broken. But here's the thing is that I, even though we've broken at least one, because maybe you're, you're here and you're like, well, maybe I've broken one, right? I coveted the iPad. That was it. Other than that, I'm good, you know. Uh, right? But here's the deal. All of them are connected. Now, here's what James says. This is the last verse in your outline. It says, whoever shall keep the whole law yet stumble in one point, he's guilty of all. You see, when we're, we're all guilty of breaking the first commandment. The first commandment is this. No other gods. That is, that God gets first place in our lives. But then what happens? But see, all of us at one point in our lives, I've done this, you've done this, we've all done this. We've all allowed something else to take first place in our lives at some point or another. And so what happens? And you know what you do when, when something else becomes more important in your life than God? You start coveting that thing. You start desiring that thing. And you've now we're guilty of breaking commandment 10 because we think that that thing is what's going to give us worth and value somewhere outside of, no, of our relationship with God. And if, if that other thing is going to give me worth and value, now um, if, we, if we can't get it, or we do get it and it doesn't actually produce the thing that we wanted it to produce, guess what happens? We've got to start lying about ourselves, sometimes even lying to ourselves and to others to make ourselves feel like we're more than we actually are and we're guilty of breaking commandment 9. And if that's not enough, we'll start working harder and harder and harder to prove to people that we really are worth it. And so we'll work seven days a week and we'll do all this stuff and all these hours to try to prove ourselves. And now we're guilty of breaking commandment four. And it's like over and over and over again. And we start seeing that all of these commandments are connected. And none of us are able to keep these commandments perfectly. And so we fall short of God's standard. And when we fall short of God's standard, it separates us from God. But here's the thing that's amazing about God. I shared it earlier, is that God didn't just leave us there to kind of just figure it out on our own. He didn't just say, hey, you've fallen short of my standard. You're separated from me. Figure it out. No, He didn't do that. Instead, God, knowing that there was a problem, He Himself became the solution. He sent His Son into the world to die this horrific death on a cross. He was buried and everybody thought it was over. But then three days later, the tomb, the stone was rolled away. People looked inside and they said he wasn't there. An angel was showing up, was there and said, hey, guess what? He's not here. He's risen. And he appeared over and over and over again to show us that. He, and he arose again to show us something, to show us that the sacrifice had been accepted by God and that now we're off, he offers us forgiveness, grace, peace, mercy, love, all the things that we desire. You see, here's the deal. I don't know how you got here this morning. Maybe a friend invited you. Maybe um, you got something in the mail. Maybe you got a phone call. I don't, I don't know. But here's what I do know. That it could be that the reason that you're here is because God has been seeking and reaching out to you, offering you the promise of eternal life offering you forgiveness of sins, offering you the weight that you've been feeling, the guilt that you've been feeling over whatever it might be in your past that you say, am I ever going to get over this? Am I ever going to just kind of, kind of be able to shed that and get over that and move on? 
Listen, all of that is possible. And that the reason that all that is possible is because God offers that to us in the person of Jesus. That Jesus came into this world, He died to forgive people, to give us the opportunity now to live a brand new life, to not have to feel disconnected from God, disconnected from others anymore because of all the stuff that kind of weighs us down and holds us back. Instead, He offers us to have a relationship with Him. And here's the thing that's so important. When I, when I ask you that, if you've invited Jesus to come into your life, I'm not asking if you've... Um, I'm not asking if you grew up going to church. I'm not asking, well, you know, I've been going to Easter every year since I was two. That's not what I'm asking. I'm asking if you've ever asked Jesus to forgive you. If you've ever asked Jesus to come into your life and that you want to walk with Him and know Him and have a relationship with Him and have your past forgiven. Have peace in the present and have the hope of heaven and eternal life in the future. That's what God offers us. And so here's what we're going to do. And this is the glory of Easter, is that Jesus rose from the dead to offer us forgiveness and grace. And so what we're going to do as we close um, is that I'm going to pray, and I'm just going to, for those of you that say, hey, um, I, I got here, and it's a crazy story as to how I got here, but here's what I know. This is the reason why I'm here. The reason why I'm here is because God's been after me. God's desiring to reach out to me. And now I'm going to reach in His direction as well. So I want to lead you in a simple prayer. And I'm going to invite you to just repeat that prayer with me. And here's the deal. It's not a magic formula. It really has little to do with my words. But here's what I, what I hope. Is that maybe the words that I speak will resonate to what your heart wants to say to God. And if that's the case, if that's the case, here's what I know. Is that a prayer prayed in sincerity that God will hear, that God will respond, and that God will act. Let's pray together. And God, we thank you so much. We thank you for Easter. We thank you for your love. We thank you that you invite us into a relationship with you. And God, I want to pray for every person that's here. And I ask that you would begin to work as those who pray, those who call out to you. You told us this, God, that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That anyone who calls out to you, you will not cast out. Instead, you will accept. So God, I ask that as those who pray today call out to you, that you will begin to do a work that changes their life starting now. Listen, those of you that are here, that you're ready, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to invite you to pray. I want to invite you to just repeat these words with me. They might be my words, but I believe they can express your heart to God. So if you want to make that decision this morning, I just want you to say out loud, just say, Dear God, I invite you in. I ask that you forgive me of all I've done wrong. I thank you for Jesus who died for me that I might have life. I want to walk with you starting right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.